Another great edition of Team Talks. Today we're talking with Dave Johnson, Ambridge Hospitality. Ambridge is now the largest third-party management company with over 1,500 hotels. And with great size comes great responsibility. Let's hear how Dave plans to use his scale to impact our industry and maybe get his thoughts on 2021. Thanks for joining. Dave Johnson, good friend. Welcome. For come, thanks for coming on Teague Talks. I appreciate you joining me today. We got to have industry leaders like yourself come share their backstory and who they are. Hey, Teague, it's good to be with you. I got to ask, I mean, where the heck are you? Tell me that computer generated behind you. Yeah, it is. Looks really nice, though, doesn't it? I want to be there. I'll just <laughs> pretend like I'm there in my mind right now. I'll tell you the irony is I, uh, I founded the company 17 years ago in three guest rooms of one of our hotels in North Dallas. We are building a new 250,000 square foot uh, hotel support center, but we, uh, we can't get in until April 1st. We, we leased our space during COVID, so I'm actually in a hotel room for the next couple months, you know, 17 years later, waiting to get through in our, in our you know, brand new facility. So there's a little bit of irony there. That is hilarious. I knew you built a new headquarters. I was going to ask if you're there yet, but obviously not. Yeah, hard hat tours, but it's going to be nice. You'll have to come see it when we, uh, when we open it. Uh, everything you guys do is first class, so I can't wait. Um, all right, so we're going to get into the industry and where the industry is and where we're headed and what you see in 2021. We'll get into Ambridge and the future of that, but I love doing it, so I got to do it with you. I got to personalize. So I like to let's go backwards. Tell me, where are you from? Where did you go to school? How, where did you grow up? How did you get into this industry? What was your path? It uh, seems like a long time ago. You know, I'm getting older, but uh, I grew up a uh, suburban Chicago kid, good Midwest kid, and uh, actually dated a girl who worked at the Marriott as a server in their mid-training, and I was still going to college. And so I got to be friends. I started, you know, I was a big jock, so I was playing in flag football league, softball league with all her coworkers, these guys who were like a year or two older than me. And I got an economics degree at Northeastern Illinois uh, University, and I uh, was playing sports, and I'd say, they said, hey, you know, you really ought to consider a job at Marriott. You know, come work for Marriott, the training program. So I was like, you know, they said, you'd really be good in sales. And, of course, me being the ignorant uh, kid I was, I'm like, well, don't just people call up and make a reservation? I mean, what do you sell? So needless to say, I went through the interview process and uh, interviewed with uh, a lot of the Marriott regionals there in Chicago, and they were very kind, but they said, uh, an idiot could just come down that you had to have a hotel degree to get into the program. So I was like, very appreciative of getting the interviews. That was in the late 80s. And I, uh, I said, hey, let me go start looking for a job in the hotel business. And so I, I, I hooked down with a local owner there, a 400-room Holiday Inn, you know, the kind that had been built on three times. And very, very fortunate that about four months later, I got recruited by Wyndham Hotels, which at the time was Tremble Crow Company. They were opening a new hotel in the suburban Chicago area. And, you know, here I'm a 25-year-old kid getting recruited, you know, and feeling really good about it. Spent 17 years, you know, and obviously having the ability to go work for an organization like, like Tremble Crow Company for a kid like me, because, you know, the office side, the retail and housing side, multifamily, I should say, they, you know, they all went to Harvard, MIT, uh, Stanford, you know, so me, a kid coming out of a, a suburban school, it's a state school in Chicago, I kind of got in the back door. Spent 17 years with Wyndham through, you know, we, we, we were Crow Holdings and, and uh, they were, you know, owned the company, we did an IPO. Uh, then we had the Patriot American couple yeah. uh, that came together, those two companies. Uh, wow. And then we took about a billion dollar equity infusion from, you know, Apollo, Apollo Real Estate, uh, Thomas H. Lee Partners and Beacon, 
So to, to, to be a kid now that's, that's president of the company and you've got people like Leon Black on your board and Lee Nybart, Bill Mack, uh, Tom Lee, uh, was, was pretty amazing. So that's kind of my story. And then I uh, 17 years with Wyndham, worked my way up to be president. And then uh, shortly after, you know, I, I'm not really a hang on and get paid kind of guy. I'm a growth guy. So I looked for a job in 17 years. So I just started networking a little bit, turned down some some CEO opportunities and always had this entrepreneurial bug and went and talked with my former uh, partner, Les Bentley. We went and approached uh, Harlan Crow, Trammell's son, and uh, kind of put the band back together. And did I ever believe, Teague, that in 17 years we'd be at 1,500 plus hotels in 21 countries? Not in a million years, but uh, a lot of great people, a lot of hard work went into it and saw, saw an opportunity in the industry that we thought we could take advantage of and we pivoted a few times. Uh, five or six years ago, we made a big bet on scale. We just felt like, you know, watching Marriott scale up and Hilton scale up, you know, seeing the REITs start to consolidate, you know, and get bigger. We just felt like, you know, as equity moves into the space, they want really what I would call institutional quality operators, uh, you know, financial reporting. I think we've got 50-some CPAs on our team, and I don't think I had any in the first five years, and probably a lot of our competitors have zero as well, but... You know, we needed to really bring what I think is scale, and it really benefits the owner. Because at the end of the day, we want to be great brand partners, but uh, we work for the owners. I mean, that's who, that's who signs our paycheck. And so we're blessed with awesome relationships, whether it's large PE firms or the, you know, the public and private REITs, a lot of family office money that continues to invest with us and sees the advantages of scale. Uh, yeah, you sure got scale, don't you? So. Yes, sir. So, so let's head, uh, let, let's keep going there. What do you think your scale gets you uh, today? Be specific. I'd love to say that I knew all of this and, and it was by design, but I'll tell you probably the one thing that sticks out uh, is at the end of the day, you talk to anybody who's, who's worked in our side of the business. You know, I always say it's kind of sexy to be an owner of a hotel, pretty sexy to be a brand, but when you operate the hotels, I mean, we're cleaning rooms, we're checking people in, we're cleaning lobbies, we're setting up banquet rooms, we're serving drinks and meals. So it's not as glamorous as, as the owner, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of hard work and it's very labor intensive. And anybody in this industry knows, you know, we've got 1,500 plus CEOs. We want every one of our general managers to think like a CEO. And I tell you what scale has done for us is allow us to be the employer of choice. Everybody wants to work for Anchorage. Yeah, it's a great company to work for, but I also can matriculate my career. I mean, I remember we started recruiting out of the, the top hotel schools probably 12 years ago, and we saw it as an avenue to bring great young talent in. But you know, you'd have a, somebody you recruited, and five years later, they're you know they're running a, a courtyard and doing a really good job as a general manager for a couple of years, and they raise their hand and say, you know, I want to make more money and I want more responsibility, and they're they're entitled to it because they're doing an outstanding job. And the, the tough thing with all these small management companies, and I was small at one point, they have to leave your organization in order to matriculate their career. Now, uh, we, uh, nobody leaves Anchorage, you know, because they're, they're in their fourth or fifth or sixth role. They're moving into regional roles. And I, and probably one of the most flattering things is my college. I'm too old to recruit at the colleges now. So you got to have a young, you know, young guys and gals do it, but they come back and say that our line is longer than Marriott's because we've recruited over the years. So all these people wanted to join our organization because We'll take somebody that went to that school three, four years ago, and they'll come back as a rep and say, this is where I came out of school like you three or four years ago, and this is what I'm doing today. So we've established relationships. So I'd answer your question, but 
talent is probably number one. And anybody knows if we've got an A-plus general manager, you'll have a great outcome in that asset because he or she will will, will fill out their team and operate it. So that, that's one. Obviously, scale with, with procurement. It's allowed us to really drive costs down for owners. You know, things like insurance, employee benefits. You know, we're buy, we're, we buy more we buy more food and beverage and OS&D than probably the top 25 hotel companies out there. So we're moving away from being on a procurement platform and we get our own because it drives more cost to owners and because of the scale in which we buy. And then I would say another area, you know, so driving cost down, another area is, you know, our, our relationships with the brands. You know, we're everybody's largest franchisee and we, we love our brand partners and we respect them. We, we, you know, most of us on my team are former brand guys. So we don't want to have an adversarial relationship with brands and try to push it to the edge as far as you can. We want to be good stewards of their brand. We have great relationships. We make mistakes like everybody, but there's a lot of mutual respect back and forth with brands. And, you know, we don't, we don't act like the big shot. You know, they know we're their largest franchisee, but, hey, we just want to continue to grow with them. And, and so that's very important with the leverage we have to be able to get things done on behalf of our owners. A lot of times we test the new programs uh, because – we obviously got the scale and we know we're going to put some real might behind it to demonstrate if it works or not. We sit on most of the advisory boards. You know, we, spread it, we spread it throughout the Ambridge family because it would be too much for one or two individuals to do. So we love scale. And now on an international basis, I think that our, our growth internationally, you know, obviously COVID come in cheek for a second, but one of the key reasons I wanted to go international and, and really drove the interstate acquisition is that, uh, so many of our U.S.-based capital partners were saying we need Ambridge to be in Europe. You know, we, we, we want Ambridge to grow. We want Ambridge to be in South America. I can't tell you the name, but I'm, I'm tickled pink. We're going to announce uh, probably in the next two to three weeks an acquisition we're doing of a, a company that's based in Mexico. We'll add about 40 assets, but it'll put us uh, as one of the largest U.S.-based operators in Mexico. We'll have an office down there and some really quality assets. So... I think it allows us a great opportunity to go throughout, you know, uh, Mexico and then Latin America and South America. So that'll be a great, big, big growth farm. We launched Canada a couple of years ago. We've got 25 dots on the map and more to come. So uh, really growing the platform and uh, working with a lot of the same partners we do business with in, in you know, domestically. So let's go back to those mergers and acquisitions. Um, I mean, you know, historically, we're a mom and pop industry, right? Uh, entre- entrepreneurs. That's how you started out as well. I guess you had your Curl Holdings background, so you knew the institutional world. The institution started coming into our business. I'm assuming that's what you saw when you said, we got to go scale. Uh, and you went from, you pivoted from winning management contracts to acquisition, small acquisitions, bigger, bigger, and eventually to the interstate acquisition, which is giving you the scale. Oh, by the way, you got a bunch of good talent. To your point, our industry is all about the people. You got a bunch of good executive talent. Uh, I don't know, Dita Meyer and Osteen and some of those guys. And I guess I'm putting words in your mouth. You're going to let Dita Meyer and uh, Osteen and the gang run the U.S. while you go conquer the globe? Well, you know, it's a, it's a good segue, Teague. I, you know, I moved into this executive chairman role. And, uh, you know, Mike and I, a lot of people don't know, we never worked together. But when, when Mike was president of Omni, we've been dear friends for 20-some years. He's just a great guy. And so when he came in, I said, Mike, you know, be, be a little patient with me. This is a great opportunity for you. So I said, within two years, I think we can position. He needed to get to know my partners, the Advent guys. They needed to get to know him. Mike's done an outstanding job. And uh, 
we knew it would come to that. And, and again, he's, as long as he was patient, he's going to run the, you know, we, we, the largest third-party manager by a factor of about six. But we are the third largest operator in the world behind Marriott Decor. So, you know, for him to be able to be the CEO of the, you know, the, large, or the third largest uh, hotel operating company in the world and growing that double-digit growth is pretty exciting. So uh, what I like, Teague, is uh, I'm going to focus on growth. You know, so I, I, I basically am heading up M&A. I run capital markets, you know, all, all from my perspective, the fun stuff that I get to do, you know, and, uh, and, and I feel good because the company's in such capable hands and the day-to-day operators with, with Mike leading the charge. And uh, so I'm in Osteen's, I'm, you know, I'm in his soup every day about more things that we can do to expand the footprint. And, uh, and we have great relationships with our owners so we continue to learn from them. And, and again, how do we continue to leverage scale? If we leverage scale to benefit our owners, and the, 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 I think the weirdest thing is, Teague, uh, what I've tried to do is educate the industry that so many owners uh, look at management companies as commodities. You know, just like one's like the other, it's like that. And that always kind of bothered me, especially when we were young and growing. But I was like, you know, look at the facts. And I, I take shots at guys like you, because have you ever seen an asset for sale in the history of this industry that doesn't say the operator's terrible and there's all kinds of upside? Now, there's no, there's no facts behind it. Like, what kind of margins are you running relative to the industry norms? But you know, it's just part of the, it's just part of the sell. There's always upside. You're just doing your job. But uh, you know, we're out to prove that. You know, give, give me your, you know, sign an NDA, run your 300 room Weston through my internal model, and I'll show you that I can drive 300 thousand dollars more in EBITDA in 2019 than your current operator does. That's facts. That's what wins contracts. So. Uh, we, we're trying to break out of this that, you know, and, and what I love is, you know, I love my competitors, makes this industry fun, right? Company 17 euro, the, the, the first third of our existence is you didn't want to hire Anchorage because they were too small. Then we were growing so dramatically. Then that's that second trimester was you don't want to hire Anchorage because they're growing too fast. Now you don't want to hire Anchorage because they're too big. So I always like to know what my competitors are saying, but Hey, when I was small, I had to say something too, right? You've got to compete. Well, they're always taking shots at you. And you're taking over the globe now. I don't know. You bought everybody in the U.S., I think. So you got to go find people globally. Well, I, I, really, think, I don't see any more like, you know, I think we're going to focus on smaller, more strategic acquisitions, you know, that, that, that add value. You know, in the M&A we've done, we've bought some companies that we bought really kind of cheap that really needed to be fixed, but we did some real strategic acquisitions like Evolution Hospitality. You know, we felt like they were one of the best like, kind of lifestyle operators out there, Murph and his team, and we tucked them in, and we, we kind of, they, they had you know, been a part of a, uh, a, really a captive for a family office out there, broke out on their own with the partners, and we brought them in, and you know, rather than some of my competitors would say, we're gonna take Hilton Hyatt Marriott guys and try to make them lifestyle guys, we didn't do that. We went out and said, let's find who we think is the best, and most, most uh, uh, you know, aligned with us and how we grow that. And as you know, that's going to be a big segment go forward. You know, we took on things like our own digital marketing agency, Second Wave. You know, we've got about 50 employees. So instead of outsourcing that again, let's get the best talent that understands our industry and drive share for our, for our owners. One, one of the, one, a good friend of mine, Steve Angel, you probably know Steve, one of the nicest compliments he gave me about three years, excuse me, three months ago in the fourth quarter, he said, Dave, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm one of those guys over the last 20 to 25 years that said management companies are a commodity. 
He goes, to see what you guys have done in our assets and to see how you drove our assets through COVID, he goes, I'll never say that again. I mean, that's a hell of a compliment coming from a guy like Steve. I, I'll, you'll take it. I, so the only thing left is to go public. What is, what is that happening? No, it's definitely the exit strategy. Uh, uh, between us, we had, we had engaged with J.P. Morgan and E&Y to, 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 to really kind of get us, you know, to took a long, hard look at it. So we were, we were pretty engaged in the Advent guys. You know, they, they're, they're great partners out of Boston. They uh, taken a lot of companies public, you know, so I think that's definitely, but obviously when COVID hit, you know, kind of all bets are shelved right now, but uh, definitely an option. And I think the interesting thing is nobody of our size on the operating side has ever, you know, Interstate was really the only one. They were a lot smaller back when they were public. And, you know, I think over half their EBITDA was real estate too. And, you know, we don't, Although we have some sliver equity investments and stuff, we uh, we don't not, not probably less than five percent of our EBITDA comes from you know real estate investment. It's all fee growth. So you know where would we trade? That's the you know is it ten times? Is it fifteen times? You know it's it, that, you know depends on who you ask and when you ask them, right? Sure. Well, today the market's crazy, so you'd be at twenty times. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and a uh, week goes by that I don't get a call from SPAC. Of course, of course, I believe it. I'd call yeah. you too. I feel like the prettiest girl everybody wants to take to the prom on these facts. Yeah, you might be. <laughs> might be. You got a fresh haircut and everything. Yes, right, sir. Let's get into the industry then. Tell me, you guys got scale and visibility. Uh, talk to me about what you're seeing in the industry. Sort of maybe go backwards. Uh, you notice any difference in real estate? How about your employees? I'm sure you had to furlough a ton. That's probably tough. When do you see bringing them back? Talk to me about that. Very, very tough. At the, at the, uh, the height of this back in, uh, you know, probably the end of Q2, we have about, pre-COVID, we had about 65,000 employees on our payroll and we furloughed about 40. Since then, since then, we're beginning to bring people back. Uh, Europe was rebounding pretty well, but now, now Europe's going the opposite way, as you know, with the lockdowns. Yep. We are bringing people back, uh, which is exciting. You know, occupancies, it's it's all relative these days, right? Positive's positive, but we, we fell so far uh, and we're, we're, we, we like many people, and as I mentioned to you, I think earlier before the call, we've got great data. I'm actually sharing our data with a lot of the, the buy-side analysts. They love our data because domestically it's over a 1,000 assets, and we're in all of the swim lanes, right? We can talk about luxury hotels and resorts that we operate, lifestyle hotels, group-oriented assets, extended stay, you know, when we've got, we've got great data, data that really covers all, all the top 50 MSAs in the country with multiple asset classes. So, you know, the, the northern cities are abysmal, you know, the, and I've done some business travel, too. Uh, it, it's funny, I didn't realize how often I went to New York because my wife had mentioned, you know, are you afraid to travel in the second quarter? And I go, no, but everybody I do business with in New York is down in Palm Beach. And then when it got too hot in Florida, now they all went to the Hamptons or Aspen. So I said, I, nobody to see in New York. But I ended up making a trip in the fourth quarter. I think I went to D.C., Chicago, uh, L.A., and uh, – New York, and I mean, we're fortunate in Texas. You know, I mean, we, I, I live in Dallas, and I come back and tell people, hey, it's not, we, we got it a lot nicer than some of these folks because it's just complete shutdowns. And it's like, DC was just a ghost town when I was there. Nothing's open. And so uh, those cities obviously were feeling it. Uh, we were seeing some nice rebound in California, but then California had a lockdown again. So that was a step, you know, backwards. But, you know, my predictions team, uh, I was on a, uh, a view from the top panel with uh, some of my peers <clears throat> last week. And I tend to be, you know, the optimist in the group. 
but I don't see anything in 2021 that gets me excited. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, I, I don't think healthy people are going to get the vaccine for probably late summer, early fall. I, I hope I'm wrong on that. But the, the reality is the rollout here, and this is, we've never done this before in the world. And it's not just about our country, right? It's about the whole world. The whole world's in this together. So I think the more we can help and support, you know, WHO as we, as we do this thing, uh, it's, it's so important. And I think there's going to be a little bit of a quiet time. Now, that, that's sounding a little pessimistic. I'm also really fired up about pent-up demand. You know, I think that, that you know, it's not, it's not if, it's when. When people feel safe to travel, I think the pent-up demand is going to be incredible. All this nonsense about business travel will not be the same. If you remember, T, you're younger than me, but that we heard that after 9-11. Yeah, we did. And New York would never be the same. It's going to be a shadow of what it once was. And people aren't going to travel for business like they used to. And you just launched, you know, the, the record numbers in our industry after that. And I always tell people, you know, people will start to travel when their competitors do. You know, if, if you're pitching a deal and you want to do a Zoom call and the other two guys pitching the deal are flying to Dallas to see me, uh, you, know, you know what's going to happen on that deal, right? And so when your competitors are spending time with your top customers, you're, you're going to get on planes. I love that ad. Remember the ad for United Airlines? The boss comes in and starts passing out plane tickets. You know, it was, so, it was so good about getting back on the road and getting in front of customers. Was that a deal they lost or something like that? Somebody just fired them? Is that right? what it was? It was after 9-11. Yeah. 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 I thought, yeah. yeah. It was like, we got to go get travel. Who we're going yeah. to see our best customer who just fired us or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I, so listen, I agree. I think you got to get there. It's when consumer confidence gets back. It's when, uh, dare I say, the media decides that it's okay for us to get out there and, and travel again. And we need it. I mean, there's been so much, okay, I guess I agree. You got to stay safe. But when's corporate America going to come back and travel? Is that a big thing? We got to let, they got to start giving the green light, writing the checks, not worried about the liability. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head, the liability issue. And I, I, I have the privilege of serving on HLA's executive committee. You know, shout out to Chip and his team, Brian Crawford, Rosanna. These guys are fantastic at what they do and probably just beginning to get the appreciation that they deserve and, and, and working their tails off through COVID to support our industry and really get us to the forefront, you know, on behalf of our employees and our owners and, and, and all of us that call this a great career. And they continue to fight. But the liability issue is I've talked to some Fortune 100 CEOs and, you know, some large banking and, and investment banking firms. And they're not they're not going to they're not coming out and meeting with it, but they're not going to get their people back on the road until this release of liability. So I think with this new administration, the quicker we can get there and, and not talk about, you know, this is about big hotel companies making more money or airlines or cruise lines or, or you name it, this is about putting people back to work, you know, because we've still got over half our staff, over 30 some thousand people that are out of work. And these folks work check to check. And it goes the same for the airlines, you know, uh, Uber drivers, restaurant industry. We, we got to put people back to work. And, and until that release of liability shield and what's happening, Chip explained to me the other day, that some of the states are already doing it. But again, that's not really a fix. Right? Or is a company then going to say, okay, here are the 12 states you can travel to? You know, we need to do it for all 50. So hopefully we can get the new uh, new administration on board to support us. Yeah, you got some fights, though. I mean, I don't know how much the help is. I, I don't know, maybe the third-ish round of stimulus with $2 trillion, maybe it comes liability. I, I don't know, maybe expensive, but who knows? Because it holds back both you guys from hiring employees and the, the real uh, 
companies from sending their employees to get on the road. Uh, not to mention calling them back into the office. And I don't know if you have to be in the office or not. You got to get on the road and go see people to stay in your hotels. Yes. So that's huge. That, that yeah, we, really can't, cool. we can't survive without business travel. You know, I mean, we've been getting some, you know some spike in leisure because uh, people feel comfortable social distancing, and I think they just got they've been pent up so long. But uh, that, that's not what pays the bills. You know, we need business travel and meetings to come back. When do you see the meetings coming back? I think it's it's obviously the stating the obvious, but I think it's the last to come back. I think urban hotels and, and meetings. And uh, what's interesting, to you, you know, I've led I've led a company through the Great Recession. I led a company through 9/11. And the interesting thing about this one is this is not an economic downturn. And even 9/11, even though it didn't get termed an economic turn, we were about ready to. As everybody knows, you know, we were about ready to hit the skids, you know, and that would just kind of push us over the edge. Our economy was booming. You know, and we were doing great. And the wild card in this whole thing is science. You know, and, and, and it's like we, all us industry pundits and all the research you can do, it, it still is all about science. And, and, and again, uh, I don't believe any of these naysayers on, you know, we're going to be doing Zoom now and travel's not going to happen. I'm tired of Zoom calls. People are exhausted on Zoom calls. And to me, how do you mentor everybody on Zoom? You know, how do you build a team and camaraderie on Zoom? How do you get to know your best customers? You and I both know, T, you, 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 you might do a two-hour meeting with somebody pitching a deal, and then you go to dinner. Where's the deal get done? It gets done at dinner because everybody lets their hair down a little bit, relaxes, and you get to create, you know, relationships. You can't do that on Zoom. Well, I'm finding myself now, I'm, I'm actually, everybody turns their cameras off half the time. So, you know, if in a board director, I just dial in now on half of them, you know, because everybody sits there for four hours and just kind of stares at each other. You know, and I, I think they want to do their emails or eat or something. They're maybe a little embarrassed about it, but, but it's like, uh, and it's good. It's good technology. I think it's going to help all of us. It already has in, in doing business. And, and I, I think that the work from home, uh, it's tough on people. It's very tough on people. We, we survey our employees and they, they miss their friends. They miss being part of a team. Uh, they can't wait till our new headquarters open the April first. Uh, my guys tease me, but I've always uh, I've always given everybody a turkey for Thanksgiving. I give it to them like four or five days ahead. I'm like, Dig, how good is that that the Ambridge bird is in the middle of the table while everybody's enjoying one of the best holidays we have with our families? So we gave them out. It was actually my head of uh, my CHRO's idea. It was genius. We gave them out in the parking lot of the new building. So everybody was able to come in and, and, and take a look at that building and really get excited about coming back to work. So it, it worked out for us. But I think uh, it, it's just a matter of time. To answer your question, I think we'll continue to see leisure come back. We're starting to see some business travel. You know, a lot of these first responders, you see in hotels like Extended Stay America, you know, uh, are, are booming. G6, you know, Rob's hotels are doing great. But as you go up the food chain, anything urban, anything high-end is still really struggling to be. Uh, I, I do think, you know, in your world and my world on the deal side, I do think I, I, we're starting to see things break loose. You know, people were afforded PPP loans. I think many of us thought this was going to be much short, shorter term than, than and I, I was in that camp for a while. I think in the fourth quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter, uh, talking to some of my peers, I think reality set in for all of us. You know, originally it was a Q2 issue. Then it was everybody's going back to work after Labor Day. I want to say it was early October. We're like, you know what? This isn't going away. There's no easy fix. And uh, we're going to have to wait this out. And I think that things are going to start to break loose now on the deal side. Most of what we're looking at isn't worth the debt. So it makes your job difficult. It makes our job difficult. 
there's been a lot of money raised, as you know, to, to, to look at the crisis. I don't think the crisis, honestly, I don't think we're going to see discounts of 50 cents on the dollar. But I do think if you buy quality assets, we've already bought a few where we're getting about a 30, 30% discount pre-COVID. But it's an asset in a city center where we're going to have to carry it for 12 to 18 months. So that's part of your underwriting. And, uh, and so the other thing is COVID's got all the court systems screwed up. So even the CMBS, it just makes it more difficult to move through. But I do believe lender, lenders are going to start chasing winners and losers. You know, they're going to have to start taking write-downs on this stuff. So hopefully, you know, the busier you are, the, the better it is for us. So the more deals you can get, this gives opportunity to guys like me. Uh, we're like you. We're having a lot of conversations these days. But it is, it's psychological. I mean, we know the world, right? And if you, if you feel good, you're gonna hang on. If you're not, you're gonna, you're gonna let go. And I think it's, there's a, still a lot of uncertainty. And everyone, there's a vaccine here. So on one hand, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Things can come roaring back. Why would you sell anything right now? So you have that. Uh, on the other side, as you're saying, I think we've been wrong at every turn. Uh, it's going to be longer than we think. So why, why shouldn't we be wrong again now? Uh, so I think things are gonna be longer and I think people are having to make real decisions whether you're a servicer, whether you're an owner, whether you're what have you. And I think most people in our space, at least, are treading water. And the question is, is how long do you want to just continue to tread water? Because if you're treading water, you're not making progress. Right. And yeah. that's individual decision that they're all going to make. In your cash burn rate, right? I mean, to your point, you were going to feed this till the end of 2021. But, you know, as months go by and you say, I might have to feed this for the end of 2022 or into 2023 on some of these CBD assets, uh, at some point, you're like, I, I just either I have no means to fund that, or I'm just kind of throwing good money after bad. So I, I think some things will will, will break loose. And you're starting to see a little bit of it in New York City right now. It's probably the most polarizing market out there domestically. New York, you know, some people like it, some people are terrified of it, you know, and that, that there's a lot of things unrelated to COVID with labor and whatnot, you know, and where's demand. All the, all the movement out of New York. So, you know, but where there's uncertainty, you, you need, uh, you need a, a better discount. And we like inefficiencies in the market, right? I mean, our, to oversimplify, we'll take the pessimists to make them the sellers and the optimists to make them the buyers and we'll bring them together. Sure. So asset class or market or geography, uh, there's always a winner, there's always a loser. So we bring them together. Uh, all right, Dave, this is fantastic. Uh, I love it. I don't know what any more thoughts you have or words of inspiration for the industry that we need uh, or any more visibility that you got, but I, I, I kind of agree with you on where you're, on where you're saying. No, hey, listen, I appreciate you having me on, Pete. Wish you a happy new year. Uh, I think it's really good that you do these because uh, you get to see a little bit different than us asking the same questions on stage every time we get on stage. You know, like what keeps us up at night, right? But it's, uh, I love the industry. Uh, I feel very fortunate to have made my livelihood out of this. Uh, I've got a few kids who've gone in the industry, related industry, which is which is flattering. And uh, as you know, I mean, I, I don't think there's an industry out there I'd rather work with. And, and even though we're extremely competitive in this industry, you know, most of my competitors, you know, they're, they, and I compete with the brands too, right? But we're all good friends. You know, we, 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 you root for your competitor to do well because that rising tide lifts all boats. But uh, appreciate you doing this. It's great. It's good to see you, my friend. I hope we'll be able to do it in person soon. Uh, I, I, Amen. Uh, thank you for the coming on. Thanks for the time, Dave. You're a good friend. You got it, my friend.